As we look, look forward to the uh, celebration of the incarnation of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, I want us to take a few minutes this morning just to consider um, uh, the young uh, virgin named Mary. She was quite young. We don't know how young she was, but she was, she was, she was young enough where she was not yet married. Um, she was betrothed to a young man, or at least to a man named, named Joseph. Um, how soon they were to be married, we don't, we don't really, really know. Uh, but they, were, they had entered into some sort of agreement uh, that's, that's somewhat like our engagement today, but not really. But they had entered into some sort of agreement to unite in marriage. Um, again, her name was, was Mary. We are all very familiar with that name. We're familiar with, with the story that we're going to look at today. And, um, and it was to her that the angel Gabriel appeared uh, six months after he had appeared to her cousin um, or her cousin husband Zechariah up in uh, down in Jerusalem uh, six months prior to announce the birth of John the Baptist or the uh, her pregnancy of John the Baptist in her old age but it was to her uh, that the angel Gabriel was sent from heaven to deliver a message a message of good news um, both the, the greeting and the message was, was out of the ordinary, uh, but Mary's immediate response um, is, is for, to me, is, is profound. It, it has caught my attention from the very first time I, I read it as a young child. Uh, this message from the throne of God was, was that she, who was yet a virgin, would supernaturally conceive within her womb and have a son whom she would name Jesus, which means Savior. Uh, he will be great, the, the angel Gabriel said. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. But I wanted to look at Mary's response. Um, Mary's response in verse 38 is, is simply, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. These, these, words are, these are the words of, of one who truly believed that what God had said he would do he would do, and that what he would do would be good for her people and for the nations of the world. These were words of faith, of trust, of hearing God's truth and accepting it by grace through faith. Now, her faith may have been in its infancy at, at, at this point. We, we don't really know, but we would assume it was, an, it was in its infancy. But when in the temple they took Jesus there to be dedicated, uh, Simeon and Anna approached them with a prophecy. And Simeon spoke, and seeing the baby and being told by God that this baby was the one that they awaited, and that 
when he saw the sign of this infant that he would then die. So he took the baby in his hand, and I don't know if you remember the song by Michael Card uh, of this song, of Simeon singing that song, but he, it, he simply says this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation as he holds this baby Jesus in his arms. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. As Mary cared for and as she nourished her son, she witnessed him uh, increase in wisdom and in stature in, the, in favor and in favor with God and man. She witnessed his first miracle changing the water into wine. Um, she watched him begin in his ministry, teaching with authority, healing the sick and disputing uh, the status quo among the religious leaders. And we might speculate, and it is only speculation, that uh, her mother's heart at times were filled with motherly pride. That was my son that turned that water into wine. Uh, that was my son who spoke this wonderful speech. Maybe not, I don't know, but possibly, we speculate. Uh, but um, there were times we can, we can be certain of that, 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 um, that there were times when her heart was gripped with fear for his well-being. Um, she may have well have kept her heart, kept in her heart Simeon's prophecy that because of Jesus, a sword would pierce through her own soul, but it was not likely that she was actually prepared to see her son tried and crucified hanging on the cross. But, but it was, it was faith that placed her at the foot of that cross. This great gift of faith carried Mary through many dangers, toils, and, and snares. And it was a faith that was fixed upon a promise and a person, the person, Jesus Christ. This promised baby that would be put into her womb. We have to ask ourselves, what, what is Christian faith? What is a biblical faith? What does it look like? What does it entail? Um, is it merely a blind leap into the dark? Is it a blind faith into the unknown? Is it based on just how we feel? Uh, what moves us at a certain time? Well, people have their opinions. Uh, British evolutionary, evolutionary biologist and author Richard Dawkins, an atheist, said of the Christian faith that faith is the great cop-out. It's the great excuse to evade the need to think and to evaluate evidence. Faith is belief in spite of, even perhaps because of, the lack of evidence. British author and journalist Christopher Hitchens, who is uh, widely regarded as one of the most influential atheists of the 20th and 21st century, wrote, faith is the surrender of the mind it's the surrender of reason. 
It's the surrender of the only thing that makes us different from other mammals. Unfortunately, um, take away the snide remarks and the cocky attitude behind it, many, many Christians believe this very same thing, that their faith is entirely subjective based upon how we feel, or some believe it is merely about believing the right things. It's an intellectual assent that we hear this truth and we will accept it because our minds have reasoned it out, we think, and it makes sense to us. But is that what true biblical faith really is? And I think a good time for us to examine our own faith and in what we really rely upon would be at Christmas time because we are, we are thinking of this virgin birth, which really foretells the crucifixion of a righteous man and then the resurrection from the dead having fulfilled the complete righteousness of the law so that we too might rise from the dead. So it impacts the whole of our life. So as we celebrate Christmas, as Matt has already um, very eloquently explained to us that when we look at Christmas, it really involves the whole totality of our Christianity, of our, of our faith. So let's consider this faith that we find in, uh, in, in Mary and, and take just a few moments. This is the start of the week. You have 168 hours in front of you, minus last night, or minute from midnight. But, but let's consider this very faith that Mary possessed and this very faith that is bestowed upon all who believe unto salvation. And we're going to pose two questions this morning. First, from where does faith come? And second, how, does, how is faith expressed? So we ask ourselves the first question, from where does faith come? Or upon what is it based? Where, is it just something that we feel? Is it just something from within uh, that takes place uh, based on a hope that we are right? No, I, I don't believe that's true. And I, I think the text lays it out very clearly for us. We find, first of all, that faith is established upon revealed truth. So it's not... When we're, when we're called to faith, we, we are not called to faith in just the unknown, but in what God has revealed to be true. Now, we're going to, look at, we're going to talk about that in a little more detail in just a minute, but just know this, that when we talk about faith that is revealed, it is not just that we own a Bible. We do believe in, by, in Scripture alone, but Scripture alone that is ministered into our hearts by the Spirit of God. So... God does work within our hearts, but he uses truth that he has revealed about himself. So we, we find, first of all, when we ask the question, from where does faith come, or upon what is it established, we would say that faith is established upon revealed truth. Look in your Bibles, here we're in Luke chapter 1, and um, read with me, uh, beginning in verse number 26, and we'll read to verse number 35. In the, in the next month, or in the sixth month, the angel, Gabriel, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. This was about 90 minutes, 90 miles north of Jerusalem. They were in the upper region of Galilee. He came to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Joseph was of the house of David. 
And the virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. Mary was assured of God's grace and of God's presence upon her life. That is an astounding statement that you have found favor in God's sight. Do you notice here that, first of all, that, that, that when Gabriel went to Mary, he went not of his own doing, he was not on a mission of his own, but he was an angel that was sent from God. Um, Luke is very sure to place that here, that this was Gabriel sent from God. Uh, the rebuke that was, uh, that was pointed towards Zechariah just a few verses prior, prior to this um, was that uh, because, of, because of Zechariah's unbelief, the angel answered him and said, said that he, I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak and to bring good news to you. So you need to believe I was from, sent from God. But I have to wonder as I read this, and, and perhaps she did, I don't know, but I, I wonder if Mary actually realized that she was speaking to an angel. Zechariah knew that. Zechariah was in the temple where no one else was, was supposed to be. He was supposed to be the only one in that temple there in that area by the altar. And there was this man standing on the side of the altar, and he was afraid. He knew immediately that this was an angelic being. But Mary's response and Mary's uh, troubled heart was not at the appearance of this angel. It was in the greeting that the angel gave to her. He said, Behold, you highly favored of God, you have, who have been graced by God. Uh, she, that, that she found favor with God and that, that the Lord was with her um, is, a is something that caught her attention. It was not a normal greeting. It was an acknowledgement that God was about to do a good work in her heart or in her life. And it calls our attention back, and I don't, we don't know if it called, calls it, called Mary, uh, Mary's mind back to it, but it does our mind, it, it calls our mind back to the Old Testament. We find, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that when, uh, or a few weeks ago, that uh, when the earth population had become so vile and wicked that every man and woman and child, every person that has breath, breath on this earth was vile and wicked in every way, so that every thought and deed was wickedness, was evil continuously, that in the midst of that, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now that indicates to us that God intervened in his judgment upon the earth. Now I know that it speaks, we like to make, make much about Noah, and he is mentioned in the great hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, but that really speaks highly of God, that in the midst of a just judgment upon the earth, he picked a man and his sons and their wives 
to bestow upon them favor or grace that would preserve them to begin a new generation following him. He takes us back to Moses, who pleaded with God to show him his glory because God said, I'm going to lead you into this place. And Moses had had enough of these Israelites, his fellow countrymen. I mean, really, he started his ministry at 80 years old. So he started out tired already. And these hard-necked, stiff-necked people were getting on his nerves. They griped and complained about everything. And God said, I want you to lead them where I will, I will lead you, into this wilderness. And Moses said, not if you're not going to go with me. You said you're going to go with me, but I want to know for sure. Can I be certain? Because if you're not going with me, then kill me right now. And he said, God, please show me your glory. God affirmed to Moses that he could not show him his glory. He would show him his backside. He would put him in the cleft of a rock and put his hands over and he would see the glory of God. But he assured Moses there that you have found favor or you have found grace in my sight and I know you by name. My presence is with you. For Mary, this announcement took place after 400 years of silence, so far as we know, God did not speak. No scripture was written, no prophets was raised. It was John the Baptist who was the prophet of God after this long silence and was the last prophet that, was, that held that office and spoke on God's behalf. But now, the fullness of time had come and God was about to send forth his son born of a woman and Mary was the woman. The word translated favor here as you've already noticed is the word grace throughout the New Testament. What Mary comprehended at this point we do not know but what we do know is that she was aware that something significant was taking place. She was responding to revealed truth. Continue reading with me in verse number 30. We see that Mary was informed of the incarnation. Whether she understood that fully, she received it well. Verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, you will call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary responded and said to him, How, how, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And again, and I'm going to, it seems like I'm repeating this often, but we cannot know the extent of Mary's, Mary's understanding and comprehension of what the angel told her. She knew that she was a virgin, 
And by implication, although she was betrothed to Joseph, they had no plans to marry immediately. They, they, they did, but they had no plans to marry immediately. And unlike Gabriel's announcement to Zechariah in verse 13, that he and his wife, Elizabeth, would have a son in their old age, the angel did not speak of Mary bearing a child to Joseph. He explained to her that she should conceive in her womb and bear a son. Again, we know that her response was in faith. Notice finally in verse number 36, we're going to skip the entire part of her visiting Elizabeth in just a bit and go to her worship, but Mary was made aware of the miraculous. Verse 36, behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. How, how old was Zechariah and Elizabeth? We don't know. The Bible doesn't actually tell us. But Gabriel refers to Elizabeth's pregnancy as something that, through human eyes, was impossible. She was already marked by society as one who was barren. She was already marked by society that she was old. Now that, again, we don't know how old she really was, but that's, that was seen as something that was impossible from a human perspective. The news that Elizabeth was with child was given to assure Mary that nothing is impossible with God. And so Mary could be assured that what God had purposed to accomplish, he would do, and what God would do would be good for the sake of his glory and of his people. Now, Im importantly, this message from Gabriel was not delivered to an unprepared heart. And this is where, for me, it helps me to understand more clearly what biblical faith really is because up to now we look we're looking at Mary and her response or what she heard but we are actually looking at God's grace that is leading her into faith into leading her to an understanding of what is taking place God is communicating with her his plans he is explaining to her what is going on or what is about to go on but Mary's heart was not unprepared God had already prepared her heart. We find this beginning in verse number 50. Mary was prepared in the scriptures, in the Old Testament scriptures. Look at what it says. This is beginning in the middle of her, of her worship or of her declaration. Verse 46. This beginning in verse number 46. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. 
He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke of our fathers to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now, when we read that, we are astounded in this wonderful worship, and we're going to look at this again in just a mo- just moment. We look, we're astounded in this wonderful worship. But the point I want to bring out here is that as you read these verses, beginning in verse number 50 to verse number 55, in those six verses, those six verses, Mary alludes to or makes direct reference to no less than 20 Old Testament scriptures. She was prepared to hear from God because she had already been listening to what he had already said. God had already prepared her heart to what was about to come. She recalls from God's Old Testament scriptures his covenant that he made with her forefather, Abraham, and she believed that this announcement by Gabriel that she would bear a son who would be called Jesus is the answer to the promises that was made in generations past. This was a work of God. In God's providence, he chose and he prepared Mary to respond to him in faith. Not a blind faith but a faith that was established on revealed truth. And I want to interject here, because we have um, many young families here, that the written word of God in Mary's day uh, was not readily available to the general public. I think it's good for us to consider these things. When we, when we read about, about these young young lady alluding to or making direct quotations from Old Testament scripture at least 20 different times in in six verses, we know that she had an awareness of the scriptures. She had been immersed in the scriptures somehow, but it was not readily available to her. I mean, you couldn't walk into a Christian scroll shop and order a premier goat-skinned-wrapped scroll of the book of Psalms or of the Torah. Uh, you, you couldn't just buy it on Amazon and get it in the mail the next day or, or, or such. Outside of its reading and its exposition in the synagogue, the learning of scriptures took place in the home. We go back to the Old Testament in what we call the Shema, You find it in Deuteronomy chapter 6, just before the nation of Israel is about to enter into the land that was promised to their forefathers, into the land of Canaan. Moses speaks to them, and he challenges them, and he encourages them. And this is what he says. In fact, would you turn with me back there? It's Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 4. This is a common common, um, uh, recollection or recall for the Jewish nation. This is, their, this is Moses' instruction to them as they live 
life in the promises of God. Verse number four of Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's our monotheistic faith. There is only one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That is the first and the greatest of all laws. The second is like that. Love your neighbor as yourself. But in verse number six, this is what you are to do. These words that I command you today, these words shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You will talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, we want to be careful. We're not talking about the mechanics here as far as, as putting frontlets between your eyes. I think, I think one tradition was that they would put, uh, put a, a band around their head and they would have the scrolls there in front of them all the time so they could kind of pull it down and read it throughout the day, kind of a, a pre-iPhone days where you could just have it always with you all the time. And that was, they went through all the mechanics. They, they would maybe put signs in their house, you know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And those are all just fine, all those verses. But we're not talking about the mechanics. We're talking about that which you have hidden and you have treasured in your heart. Dads, this is real in your life. And the talking of it and of the Stating it or the proclaiming it is not just a mechanical sitting down time for ohana. In, in, in we were, when we were growing up, my dad would say, it's ohana time, which means family time, devotion time. We would sit and we would read the scriptures. I enjoyed that time. But we're not talking about the mechanics of those things. We're talking about the course of your life before your children, that the word of God is precious to you. And your children see it in your life, the way that you live and you obey and you submit to it every single day beyond just talking about it, beyond just doing your duty and checking up off a list day to day and reading the Bible with your, with your kids, talking about a life that is in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. But Moses gives a reason behind this command in verse number 10. When the Lord your God brings you into this land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build. You have houses full of all good things that you did not fill, cisterns that you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full. In other words, when you are blessed abundantly beyond measure, this is what you need to be careful Keep the word of God close within your heart. Declare it and live it within your life so that when you are in the abundance of God's blessings, you will take care, verse number 12, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God. You shall fear him. You shall serve. And by his name, you shall swear. If you want to prepare your child's heart to turn to Christ for salvation, 
sow God's word into it by speaking it, teaching it, living it, and loving it. Before we move on, we must make note that although faith does not come about apart from revealed truth, God's word, it does not come about by God's word alone. And I want to be careful in how I say that. Hear what I, hear what I mean and not what I say. We do believe that the gospel, the word of God, is the power of God unto salvation. But we believe that it is a spirit of God that ministers in our hearts, that opens our eyes to see and to understand it. Again, we've talked about it before. That's why many of us here today heard the gospel on numerous occasions before we actually came to faith. Because it was at the moment that God's Spirit opened our eyes to see what, we, what He is saying and seeing Him for who He is, that we truly came to true biblical faith. So it is more than knowledge, but it is not less. It is revealed truth that God has given to us. It is established upon. Here's the second point, and we're not going to spend as much time here, but it is even more important than the first, is that... Um, is that faith is fixed upon Jesus. There's always an object to faith. Faith is not just faith in faith. If you have enough faith, you can move the mountains. Okay, I'm going to have faith that I can move that mountain. And the seven sisters remain there forever. No matter how, mu how much faith you have, it remains there. No, faith is not fa is not, does not stand alone. Faith has a, an object. The object of that faith is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Look again in verse number 31. You will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. One of my pet peeves about Christian biographies is when the biographer confers to his subject undue praise for things that were granted him by God's grace. Look at what a great man this man was. Look at all he did. He, did, he was great because he did check one, two, and three. And if you do checks one, two, and three, then you too can be a great man. And, and great men have done great things. But they didn't do it alone. The focus of a Christian biography is Christ, not the man, not the woman. It is Christ. He is the one. And we often, we often do this our own selves when we read the scriptures, when we script, especially the Old Testament scriptures, the narratives that tell the, the stories of these men and women of faith. We, we write songs like, dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, dare to make it known. Nothing, absolutely nothing is wrong with that song. It's a wonderful song. It is a wonderful desire that we would follow the example of Daniel. If we, but if we fail to see the divine providence of God working according to his purpose, we will be convinced that Daniel and every other great man or woman of God did it by the energy of their own flesh. Anytime we look at what God has done, we look at a great man or a great woman, we look at it with the understanding that God has done a good work for his glory. And that's what we do with Mary. I, I, think, I think that's one of the 
one of the great flaws of the Roman church and why they venerate Mary, because the focus has been placed on the mother of Jesus and all that accompanies. So she becomes a co-redemptrix. Is that how you say it? In, in feminine? A co-redeemer. If you can't get to Jesus, mom will get to her. So there's a veneration there. Why? Because we look to people apart from God's faithful work. So although Mary's response to God's call upon her life was remarkable, and it was, the faith she had was bestowed to her by God's own grace. And the narrative becomes not about Mary, but it comes about the Son of the Most High, Jesus Christ. The first question we asked was the long part of the message. We asked, from where does faith come? Well, it comes from revealed truth that is fixed upon Jesus and illumined by the Holy Spirit. The second question we ask is this, how is faith expressed? Two ways. Faith is expressed in humble submission, and second of all, faith is expressed in humble worship. Okay. Again, verse 38, faith is expressed in humble submission, and we're back to where we, where we began. Mary's immediate response to the news from Gabriel, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I am your servant. Use me as you will. Mary was chosen by God to bear his son in her womb, but the grace that brought her faith compelled her to serve willingly and to serve with great delight. Now, this is faith in action. That is faith in action. I, I am a servant of the Lord. Use me as you desire. My body belongs to you. You have no say over your body. God owns you. Faith leads us to humble submission. So whether you are called to bear the Son of the Most High in your womb, or if you're called to go shovel snow on behalf of someone else, you do it as unto the Lord. Faith that is from God is active, not because you need to busy yourself, but faith that is from God is active because it affects the whole of your life. I state that Mary had a humble submission in light of the worship of her heart, beginning in verse number 46. This faith is expressed not only in humble submission, but is expressed in humble worship. In humble worship. I love those opening words of her, of her worship. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So she is worshiping God with a whole of her being. My body belongs to you. May it be unto me as according to your word. Accord, yeah, according to your word, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has looked on, his, on the humble estate of his servant. I am just a little country girl. But God has chosen me for his service, for his purpose. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, 
and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him. Faith is not faith if it does not lead you to worship. Worship is the acknowledgement of who God is and who you are in his sight. You worship the Lord because he alone is worthy. You worship because by faith you love him. In what is your faith established? Now, that's not a rhetorical question. That, that is a pointed question to you. In what is your faith established? Perhaps you are here today and your faith has been built upon how you feel, has been built upon your, your ability to live a moral life, your ability to endure till the end when the preacher will finally shut up and sit down. You, you have placed your faith on things other than the fixed truth of who God is and what he has revealed about himself. In what do you place your trust? What do you place your eternal eternity? Where do you place your hope? Here, here's a good question that we used to ask that has been asked often. If you were to stand before God, and he would ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? I'll give you the spoiler alert. I'll give you the answer. If it's anything other than the work, the person and the work of Jesus Christ, then you are without hope. Our hope rests in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. How is your faith expressed? If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, is it being expressed in your humble submission? And is it being expressed in your humble worship? They go hand in hand. We can come and gather on Sunday mornings and we can sing happy songs with, with, with one another while everybody is watching, but is it a worship of life? Is it a life that is surrendered? I am a servant of the Lord, be it unto me according to your purpose, according to your will. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, may that be a reality in our lives. We can speak of these things. We can say the right words. But only by your grace as we would respond in obedient faith to you would they be a reality help us each and every day to look to you more closely draw more nearly to you that our faith may be matured our faith may be expressed that we might truly live as your servants that we would worship you in the whole of life we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.